But welcome back, guys, to another episode of Finance and Vibes. You've got OC here, you've got Joe, you've got Ifer. We've got a nice topic for you guys today, obviously, something that everyone's been talking about, cryptocurrencies. I was going to talk about real estate, real estate versus crypto. And, you know, I don't think it has to be one versus the other. I think if you can, definitely do both. I do both. Uh, but we're going to just talk about some of the good, nice parts that come with investing in both. And, yeah, we're just going to get into it. So before I get started, it's a passionate topic for me. I'm just going to, like, you know, see what Ifan Joe has to say. And also, shout out to everyone, by the way, for, you know, seeing the views on and the feedback from the first two episodes. It's been positive. So we're just going to keep it going. And, yeah, so if you haven't already, make sure you check out the first two episodes. And, yeah. It's about to be lit. All right, Joe, what you got for us today? Real estate versus crypto or real estate and crypto. Let's not make it a versus thing. What um, you got for us? Yeah, so like just it's been in a um, new circle the last couple of months. You know, crypto has been on a, I don't even know what to call it. This is like some historic, historic shit. You feel me? Yeah, but like yeah. my main, um, my main question with crypto and me and OC had this conversation privately was, um, like the Bitcoin miners, you get what I'm saying? And like the concentration yeah. of um, like the mining in China and like different places, you get what I'm saying? And yeah. um, when you, and things like when it comes to energy, how are we going to, how are we going to, um, like what does the future look like when it comes to like yeah. the energy consumption and things like that? Then on the end of um, real estate, like I just wanted to know, obviously real estate has like different strategies you could go to um, house hacking, um, you know, long time rentals and stuff like that. Um, we could talk about that. I want to talk about that. Then also like when guys, you know how the internet personalities make it seem like there's um, the barrier for entry to real estate is easy. Do this. You could just get a loan. You, you get what I'm trying to say? Like all the um, things yeah. on the internet. So those are the things I want to talk about and pretty much. Okay. Yeah, bef you before, before David goes down the rabbit hole, because he's gonna he's <laughs> gonna go down the rabbit hole this episode. Like they're just like so in general, we have people that believe that okay, crypto and real estate have a lot of negative factors. Like for instance, we have the people that believe, oh, nobody should have more than one property when there's homelessness on the streets. How do you uh -huh. how do you address those people? Like what what do you say to those people? And then we have the factors like yeah. in crypto. Before I started investing in crypto, like this is before anybody, like I don't want to say anybody, before I knew what crypto was really being used for, I was like, bro, damn, this can fund terrorism or the energy consumption <laughs> or bad for the environment. Oh, like, I, want, I, want, I want you to address these negative. Okay, assuming I was one of these non-advocates, uh -huh. what would you say to me? Okay. So let's talk, let's start with crypto, because I think that's the one that real estate has been here forever. It's mm -hmm. always been a thing. Crypto is fairly. So let's talk about cryptocurrencies. And obviously, to understand cryptocurrencies, first thing you need to do is understand what a blockchain is and understand Bitcoin, because obviously that's the first cryptocurrency. Um, Bitcoin, and you know, I'll say there are some resources, and we could put it in the link, but it's called The Bullish Case for Bitcoin um, by Vijay Boyapati. It's a WordPress. If you follow me on my Patreon or follow me on my social media, um, Easy Finances for you. So Easy, the letter E, the letter Z, Finances, the number four, the letter U on IG and Twitter. You see that I, I talk about this all the time. 
but you need to start with the fundamentals. So let's, but let's, I don't, we don't have enough time to dive deep into a blockchain, but simple, simply put, I'm going to put in a very basic level for anyone listening to understand a blockchain is just like a, think of it like a network and it's literally made up of literally blocks that contains hashes of data and it's um, connected by um, chains, which essentially um, is tied into um, like, it, it transfers information from one block to the other and each subsequent block contains information from the previous block. And I'm just trying to make this as simple as I can because I'm not trying to get too technical, but um, that's important because if you can transfer information sequentially from one block to the other and do it in a way that is randomized and effective and there's no bias, um, that's the whole premise behind trans like exchanging currency from myself to another person, from person A to person B. Because the whole idea now with how we send money on Cash App, how we send money on Zelle or even through bank accounts, there needs to be that central authority or a bank that verifies the transactions approves it and then we'll take the money from those understand what a blockchain is and understand Bitcoin because obviously that's the first cryptocurrency. Um, Bitcoin and you know I'll say there's some resources and we could put it in the link but it's called the bullish case for Bitcoin um, by VJ Boyapati. It's a WordPress. If you follow me on my Patreon or follow me on my social media, um, easy finances for you. So easy the letter E the letter Z, finances, the number four, the letter U on IG and Twitter. You see that I, I talk about this all the time, but you need to start with the fundamentals. So let's, but let's, I don't, we don't have enough time to dive deep into a blockchain, but simple, simply put, I'm going to put in a very basic level for anyone listening to understand. A blockchain is just like a, think of it like a network and it's literally made up of literally blocks that contains hashes of data and it's um, connected by um, chains, which essentially, um, is tied into um, like it, it transfers information from one block to the other and each subsequent block contains information from the previous block. And I'm just trying to make this as simple as I can because I'm not trying to get too technical, but um, mm. that's important because if you can transfer information sequentially from one block to the other and do it in a way that is randomized and effective and there's no bias, um, that's the whole premise behind trans like exchanging currency from myself to another person, from person A to person B. Because the whole idea now with how we send money on Cash App, how we send money on Zelle or even through bank accounts, there needs to be that central authority or a bank that verifies the transactions, approves it, and then will take the money from OC and send it to IFE. Mm -hmm. The whole point of a blockchain is let's remove that need for a central authority Let's make it on a blockchain, a public network, because transactions are public. And, you know, so I can look up transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain, you know, provided I have the information that I need, the ID that I need publicly. And um, it's also, so it's decentralized because I've removed the need for that central. Um, granted, there are people who run the nodes and the miners who verify transactions, but that, that, is, that is all decentralized and randomized to, to an extent. And it's immutable because, you know, I always laugh when people say, oh, Bitcoin funds terrorism. Of course. So, so, so Bitcoin. That's a part of life. The, I think it got that premise because, and no, 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 no. Let, let's address that for a little bit here. Mm -hmm. So the whole premise behind the Bitcoin, why it got that um, bad rep was because prior to when it became. Mainstream. 
public adoption, mainstream, right? It was used a lot on the dark webs. And the reason yeah. why it was used is because of that very reason. It removed the need for a central authority. So obviously, if I mean, if you think about it, if I was a terrorist and I wanted to send money, I probably would not send it through Bank of America where there's a central authority verifying transactions. However, I'll probably send it through a decentralized system where, um, of course, even though my transaction is public, but it's not going through a central authority. But now that obviously comes, it comes with the territory. When you're proposing something that is decentralized, it comes with the territory. That said, that said, there's obviously more conversations on how to better regulate to avoid these things. But then I'll also bring it back to, let's talk about the US dollar. Let's talk about regular fiat currency. We're talking like there is no fraud or fraud, even with the central authorities, quote unquote, the Federal Reserve, the banks, we're talking about there's no fraudulent activities. Like the banks have accumulated over $209 billion worth in fines in the past five to six years because of mm. fraudulent activities. Dude. So when you think about that, I'm like, okay, pot, pot, yeah, billion. Pot k- calling kettle black. Like, yes, um, is the it's been a currency of choice, especially when you look at that fact that it's decentralized, but then it's a, it's a really a case of pot k- calling kettle black because it's like, yeah. okay, that the US dollar has been used for similar fraudulent activities and so on and so forth. But anyways, going back to the, whole story behind Bitcoin and blockchain. So again, the value proposition here is, is decentralized, it's immutable, um, and it's a store of value as well because Bitcoin has a fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoins that there ever be. And also when you consider the fact that there is some to some level deflationary aspect in the sense that people will lose their keys. Um, so Bitcoins will be lost forever in the in interwebs and probably not recovered. So even though the cap, the supply is capped at 21 million, the actual in circulation and that is accessible might actually be much lower. And so with that, and also when you would consider like 50 years from now, when a lot of us who own Bitcoins will be looking at, will probably pass away. There'll be those people who haven't like properly set up their Bitcoins to be inherited by their um, dependents. And so when you consider all those, there's that deflationary aspect. Now. Also, Bitcoin runs on something they call proof of work. So proof of work in the sense that they are miners. So the whole point of proof of work is that um, you solve a cryptography math function that is super randomized. And whoever solves the function first is the one that's rewarded with Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin halving. I'm getting too technical now, but I want people to understand in general. For- let me, let me, yeah, yeah. let me, um, cause I'm trying to understand, right? So I'm gonna uh, summarize like my understanding of yeah. what you said. And you tell me if I'm right or wrong or correct me wherever, right? So basically, you're saying um, centralized, decentralized. From my computer background. Centralized, decentralized. Yeah, when you say something is centralized, let's say like a company like Amazon, they have a server, right? Right. So that's one place where all the information goes to and disperses to every other person's like network and computer. That's centralized, right? Correct. Correct. But decentralized in the terms of um, peer-to-peer so like there's no server peer to peer, correct. and like everything just goes straight to people's yeah. computers or random systems. Right. So there, okay. there are nodes, there are nodes, there are nodes that maintain the Bitcoin network, but the it's nodes. a peer, you said something, it was a peer to, there are nodes. Yes. Okay. There are nodes, which um, essentially the processing power via um, terahashes per second or, or, you know, so you can, you can buy an ASIC. It's a, that's what they use to mine Bitcoin. 
So yeah. there are nodes, what they call nodes, that run and maintain the network. And it's a peer-to-peer -peer style. So basically, it's not like one person has more authority than the other. Than the other it's person. just, it's, okay. it's correlated, right? Your, it's correlated directly to your processing power. For, for the proof-of-work network, the proof-of-work consensus that Bitcoin network runs on, your, your chances of successfully solving the um, cryptography function to for for transactions and uh, oh, to I get rewarded knew. with yeah. Bitcoin. Bitcoin yeah yeah so right, blocks to the yeah. blocks to the chain to the blockchain is directly mm -hmm. correlated to your processing power yeah that's what that was um when we had that conversation right um what my like my thought process was at that time what is stopping like a like a dominant power like the U.S. government. They, they have access to mm -hmm. all the manpower, the technology, mm -hmm. and exactly. to like control the process. So you get what I'm saying? Or like Russia. So, you, like, so, you, so you, what, you're, what you're proposing now is called a 51% attack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a very, that's a very, very, very valid point. And I, um, if you go on my Twitter, I don't know if people saw it. I spoke on my Twitter this week about the load to power ratio of the Bitcoin network mm -hmm. versus the load to, versus the load to power ratio of the um of the ethereum blockchain and we're talking about a 51 percent attack so basically i believe last i checked um i believe the bitcoin network was running on something along the lines of so th so let's talk about bitcoin's economic security which is translate which is directly related to um the total hash rate per second of the Bitcoin network, which is currently, whenever I, I'm, I'm checking my notes now, 160 million terahashes per second as of as of March 27, 2021. Because obviously this will grow and expand over time. As yeah. of March 27, 2021, the current Bitcoin um, network, which directly correlated to the the, the the mining capacity, is 160 million terahashes per second. On average, on average. So this is looking at the entire globe. It varies by region. So for instance, in the US, it's something more along the line of 60 to 90. And China's down low is like 35 to 30. And also given that the majority of the mining capacity is in China, on average, they say like um, a terahash per second will run you about 30 US dollars. Yeah. Okay. So when you do 160 million times 30 is about 5 billion. Hmm. So basically you're right. So for 50, so the Bitcoins, uh, economic security for the network. So what you just talked about is what present, prevents a, a government like the USA from doing that is called the economic security of the network. And that is correlated to how much does someone need to invest? So someone to, to essentially attack the network, the Bitcoin network, a 51% attack, um, that's basically when you have majority consensus. And when you have majority consensus, you can do crazy things like, so people always say, oh, you can never have more than 21 million Bitcoins. That's technically not true. You yeah. just need to reach major, majority consensus to do that. And yeah. to reach majority consensus, um, that's what that's part of that's part of the 51% attack, right? And so you need 5 billion. So essentially that's the 160 million terahashes per second hold times on. 30 US dollars. You need five, you need five hold on, you need five billion US dollars to do that. So yes, you're right. So, that is the economic security of the network. So that five billion, right? Is that directly yeah. correlating to the price of electricity or like how cheap your electricity is or that's something so electricity so electricity really so when you look at even when you so compared to 
the equipment itself versus so processing power of the equipment versus the electricity. The cost of electricity is minimal. So like yes, mm-hmm. it, so I think I think like if they said they did the analysis. I was watching a podcast to do that. Technically, you need about five six billion dollars worth of the 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 ASICs, the mining equipment, and it will mm-hmm. run you about close to 10, 10 15 million dollars worth of electricity. Now my yeah. question is, if you have if you want to spend five six billion dollars in equipment, 10, 10 to let's even say twenty million dollars worth of electricity will not be a huge, terrible deal compared to the equipment. Yeah, so the cost sure. compared to the equipment itself is minimal. But yeah, quick, yes, quick, quick question right. though. You said in order yeah. to get 51% um, consensus, basically, you need $5 billion. But that's not a problem to these countries to pull $5 billion. Yeah, it, it is not. But the thing is, um, I, again, I'm not too versed on this. How I'm not, I'm not too versed on how the Bitcoin network does it. I was going to talk about the Ethereum network. And that's yeah. the one that I know quite a bit more about and like how they would handle the 51% attack. I think the idea is like, if they're able to locate, if they're able to locate, um, so the, the difficulty is, it's actually, it might be harder because technically when, when you, you post a block, you can mine it and you can send me the details and I post it. So obviously when I post it, they can locate me but it can't necessarily locate you. So technically, if I'm the one that's doing a 51% attack, it's, yeah. it's harder to locate on a Bitcoin network versus an Ethereum network. Now, I don't know the details. I believe there's a way, there, there are measures that the network has where if they locate whoever is attacking, then you can essentially cut the person off. I'm not terribly sure, but with, the, mm. with proof of stake, it's easier because a proof of stake, I was, going to, I was going to get to that. So Ethereum has much less market cap than Bitcoin. I believe it's about 200 to 250 million um, 250, 200 to 250 billion market cap. Really, it's about 200 billion now, uh, a little less because of this pullback. But let's talk about the economic security of Ethereum. Ethereum is proof of stake. So I'm talking about Ethereum proof of stake now. So I'm talking, well, we haven't went live on the main nets, but we're getting there. Yeah. So Ethereum proof of stake network is directly correlated to, we're not necessarily looking at equipment or buying mining equipment and then mining equipment processing power to solve cryptography. Um, mm. Um, functions is more so you're still you're still it's called forging versus mining because you're forging a block versus mining and yes you're still solving math functions but yeah. now your chances of getting the reward is directly correlated to how much you staked in the network so right yeah. now the ethereum 2.0 or proof of stake staking is occurring on the beacon chain and there's over six billion dollars worth of ethereum that has been staked on the beacon chain and i want people to understand this very carefully there is six billion dollars worth of ethereum ether eth ether staked on the ethereum network beacon chain to do a 51 percent attack on ether this is where it gets really nice and i want people to understand this you would need obviously you need to need half six billion so you need more money to attack the as the Ethereum proof of stake network as is right now compared to the Bitcoin network. Yeah. Now we need to understand that you need more funds to add, even though it's a fifth of the market cap, Bitcoin's at right at, at like a trillion, Ethereum is at 200 billion. So even though it's, it's a fifth, one fifth of the Bitcoin's market cap, you need almost a billion more to attack the Ethereum network versus the Bitcoin network. And why Ethereum network is even better is because because of staking, your attack is directly correlated to, so 
because of the staking, so versus, so one, to attack one, you need to get the mining equipment, which is off the blockchain, okay? It's mm. off the blockchain. To attack Ethereum is directly related to the amount you stake, which is on the blockchain. So yeah. it's easier to locate whether or not you post, it's easier to locate who is doing the attack in the event of a 51% attack on the Ethereum blockchain versus the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Okay, that makes sense. Huh? And in the event with the proof of stake, if someone is attacking, you can simply just remove their stake and burn it on the network. Hmm. So they lose their $6 billion? They lose their $6 billion. Ah, leave, bro. <laughs> and, but, that, but because it's easier to locate, you can burn it on the network. They lose their $6 billion with the um, Ether. But here's the fun part for those who are Ether holders. In the event of a 51% attack, you severely, almost by 50%, because I'm assuming that, let's assume, okay, let's do a quick math. The idea here is that, um, the assumption is that when POS is fully live, right, mm. at least 10% of the Ether circulation will be staked in the network, at least 10%, yeah. that's the estimation. So let's just say for simplicity, let's just say in a simple case, there's only 100 Ether right? 10% is staked in the network. So that'll be 10 ether, right? Yeah. Are y'all following me? I hope, I hope y'all yeah. follow me. This is where it gets fun. There's 100 total in circulation, 10% is staked in the network. So there's 100 staked in the network, 90 circulation. If someone wants to attack the network, they need to go and purchase at least 10 ether from circulation to then stake into the network. So they'll need to raise it to they need to get 10 Ether. So the, the attacker will have 10. The beacon chain will have 10. And then the circulation will be 80. Yeah. Right? Okay. When they burn off the attacker's 10, how much becomes in supply? Total. We go from 100 to 90. 90. Yeah. Yeah. So for each attack, the amount of Ether in oh. circulation, obviously we can talk about EIP 1559. So we'll get there later. But for each attack, the amount of ether in circulation decreases. From the law of demand of supply, a decrease yeah. in supply with fixed demand or higher means price will go up. Uh. So for each subsequent, it gets more and more costly because the person, if the person wants to attack again, they have to go and buy another 10. But now they're buying another 10 with only 90 in supply versus 100 in supply the first time. So it becomes more and more costly because supply will decrease with EIP 5059, Ether has set its place to become deflationary in nature already. So already deflationary assets with a decreases supply, which each subsequent attack means it become more and more costly for each subsequent attack and less and less motivation to do so because it's easier to spot an attacker on a proof of state network versus a yeah. proof, of, proof of work network. Do y'all see how that's mind blowing in terms of economic well, security? Of the Ethereum network versus the Bitcoin. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, why? Um, that's like my head is still trying to process it. But what I appreciate is like the game theory involved in all of this. You get what I'm saying? There's so much game theory. Exactly. And I think is exactly. I'm not sure it's covered in all ends, but like I think it's pretty much secure to like uh, a high extent. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I feel that. Ether, Yo, Vitalik, Vitalik, the founder of Ethereum, is big on game theory. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I don't sense. know too much yeah. about that, though, about him. 
about Vitalik though, but I have to look into that. Yeah, yeah. He, you, yeah. you just went well, on let's a talk about right real now. Estate, I'm trying to process it. Hold on, hold on. Before we yeah, go into this, this thing, is getting, getting fun. I have a little question, right? Like over the yeah. last week, I was looking into. I'm still trying to process like just the regular Bitcoin transactions. But over like the last year, COVID and everything, there's been like a dozen of this um, Bitcoin loaning and lending businesses. You get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And yeah. do you know too much about that? And like, I'm still trying to process yeah, the, I, I can, wrap my head around like the business model and stuff like that. Like, how does it work? And We can talk about the, the, the biggest Bitcoin um, lending service right now is BlockFi. We could talk about BlockFi. Hmm. All right. Um, so the, it's simple. The whole idea is... So BlockFi, I believe they have a 6% interest rate. The whole idea is very simple. Yeah. You give them your, you send your Bitcoin to them. Mm -hmm. They hold custody of your Bitcoin. And there's a, there's a transaction. They, there's a transaction like that verifies how much Bitcoin you sent to them. Yeah. And it's very simple. The whole idea is you can get US dollars loaned against the amount. You can send them USD, Theta, Bitcoin, whatever you send them. Yeah. Um, but most times in the case, BlockFi is used for Bitcoin. And the whole idea is simple. I have one Bitcoin, which is worth um, $55,000. I believe strongly that Bitcoin will be $100,000 at the end of the year. But I need to take $40,000 out now to pay for something that is pertinent in real life to my life. I don't want to liquidate my Bitcoin because, again, I believe this is an appreciating asset long term. Mm -hmm. I will send my Bitcoin to BlockFi. I'll get oh, okay. a loan for $40,000 against my Bitcoin. Yeah. But I've sent it down, which is worth currently worth $55,000. The loan will have a 6% interest rate. And essentially, they are in custody of my Bitcoin. If I default on the loan, it's a win for BlockFi because they will keep my Bitcoin. And so, if I default on the loan, given the payment period, and they will keep my Bitcoin. And they also receive an interest on the money that they loan out. Okay. And they recently um, raised valuation. But... I think BlockFi is now at over a billion dollars of valuation. So they're doing really well as a company. So is the only form of um, collateral to say you have to put down Bitcoin or it, could it be anything else? There, I believe, I can't remember. I know a lot of people use them for Bitcoin, but I know they allow USD data and a okay. couple of other things. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah I, Man, I, we I could talk about question this. question on um, Bitcoin. So... I know many companies, Visa, Coinbase, they're trying to do this um, system where you can use like debit cards to buy things with your Bitcoin. Don't you think that's going to create some volatility in the, I mean, I don't know particularly, but like when people are buying through Bitcoin, don't you theoretically have to sell your Bitcoin for a USDT or for US dollar to make that purchase in real time? No. No. So basically the whole idea is that if you're doing transactions in Bitcoin, the whole idea is that, first of all, I think what I saw actually was rewards in Bitcoin, similar to what Square is doing now. Oh, okay. So they're, they're rewarding you Satoshis, which is a, Satoshi is a denomination of Bitcoin. But even if they're doing Bitcoin transactions, the whole idea is like, again, it's a central, Visa is a central system. They will collect the Bitcoin payments and settle the seller in US dollars. Oh, okay. okay. That Based makes, on that the current sense. going rate. Based on the current going rate. So that's so the only reason why that's a big deal is because Visa, a payments company, is coming out to say, you know what? They want to begin accepting payments in Bitcoin. Because they'll probably collect the Bitcoin payments and 
you know, as Visa oh. will just serve as a bank in that instance and settle the seller in USD. Or who knows, they might give the seller the option to receive payments in Bitcoin too. So who knows? I mean, but I, in a case like that, that's typically how it works. That's kind of good. So it's just a simple Visa. Because if they collect, it's, it's good for Visa. Yeah. 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 That's it not, doesn't make sense for as a buyer. I would never like as as much as I appreciate Elon saying now you can buy your Tesla in Bitcoin. I would never buy my Tesla with Bitcoin. the Bitcoin. Give him because I know like asset for depreciating. If I if buy a fifty thousand dollar Tesla, which is a depreciating asset, just like George said, with yeah. one Bitcoin or almost one Bitcoin in a year, I know that's going to be worth one hundred twenty. So I would have spent. <laughs> Ooh, I would Elon have spent effectively, <laughs> and in ten years, one Bitcoin be. I'm very certain in ten years, mark my words, a Bitcoin well over a million dollars. So I would have spent over a million dollars on a car that would probably in ten years be worth nothing. Yeah, I saw this dude. He posted something on Twitter. He said he bought his house. I think in 20, 2011 for that was Chamat. Yeah, he, he bought yeah. $1.5 million worth of Bitcoin. I said, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is worth that's worth well over $60 million now. Whoa, I, I think it's, his house crazy. is only his, his his house is only appreciated to $16 million mm. or something like that. Yeah, so it was a very bad, he was like, Yeah, it was a very bad, bad purchase. Yeah, I mean you, so you, you could never know at the time though. Yeah, real estate. We have to have an episode for this, bro, because I got I got questions like just coming in as we're going. You feel me? But let's go into real estate. Do you want to do a part two? Yeah, let's talk oh, about real estate. A part two, yeah, a part two. yeah we, we got to have a do a part two. Another episode we could talk about Bitcoin. But again, yeah. if, for, for those who are wondering, I'm bullish on Bitcoin, of course. I'm bullish on Ether. And if you're trying to find out the other two spaces in the cryptocurrency space on bullish shot, if Ed knows what they are, subscribe to my Patreon. Yes, sir. And we can talk about it. They're, yeah, I'm gonna put the link to the Patreon in one of these bubbles here so you can just click on it. So yeah. All right. All right, real estate. Let's talk about real estate. Everybody wanna be like real estate market going crash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are definitely bubbles with everything, there's bubbles. Like there was the even with the cryptocurrency space. There have been a lot of the like the I, the ICO the ICO raves the crypto kitty rave. I mean, I don't want to say NFT is a bubble because I can definitely. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will continue our current discussion on cryptocurrency and real estate.